Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, here we go. We're off to the races. I'm excited. Today, I have a very special guest. I can't wait to introduce you all to her. She is an absolute powerhouse, an executive, a consultant, a keynote speaker, a podcaster, a, a thought leader, a marketer. And, and, and her leadership is, is, is one of consciousness and compassion and, and experience, 30 plus years, decades. Uh, and she's written books. Um, author of The Leadership Singularity and Awakened Brands, host of the Pass the Mic podcast, co-founder, fractional CMO, digital storyteller, and sense maker and gatherer at Acorn Oak Agency. Virginie Glenzer, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Cassie. I'm super excited about our conversation. Yes, yes. I can't wait to learn from you. So without any delay, I must pass you this. It's very heavy, but I know you are a powerhouse. So here it goes. Ugh. Okay. Here you go. Take Thor's hammer. Oh, I'll take it. it. Oh, there you go. It. Okay. Good right job. There. See that Thor's hammer. Take from me Thor's hammer and smash some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. Yes. Let's let's kill some myth. I'm yes. super excited to do this because this myth, the one that I'm about to describe, drives me crazy. It okay. really does. So here it is. There seems to be some people who think that Web3 is nonsense. So I did a Google search and I found some ridiculous statement. I have two that I want to share. Yes, please. The first one, Web3 is a distraction in the pursuit of selling more coins and continuing the gravy train of evading securities regulation. Absurd. The second one. Web3 is an attempt to reframe the public's negative associations of crypto assets into a false narrative about disruption of legacy tech company hegemony. Damn. So I'm crushing those two. We got some haters out there. Yes. And they're wrong. You're saying they're they're just dead wrong. So what is it? What what is Web3 and, and how should we be thinking about it? So why it is BS? Well, I'm going to give you two reasons. The first reason why Web3 is real, important, and happening is that Web3 is the next wave of innovation of the World Wide Web powered by blockchain. I mean, just take a look at how it has evolved. It started in the mid-90s, right, with Web1. Web1 was really read-only pages. Think of Yahoo. Web2, around 2005, introduced the social platform, and as a result, all the interaction between people rose and dynamic content was created. That's when we saw Facebook and blogs. Well, Web3 is the next iteration. It's about access to ownership because it embeds new ways to distribute and exchange value. Now, of course, in the last four years, the Web3 ecosystem has seen exponential growth and the introduction of new concepts in software such as DeFi, you may have heard of that, decentralized Mm. finance, smart contract, as well as DAOs, decentralized autonomous organization. So that's the first reason. It's just the natural evolution of technology. 
Now, the second reason why these claims are false and really ridiculous is that Web3 coincide with some profound changes that we're seeing in our society post-COVID. We are emerging from an industrial era where people became machines, right? Mm. Where efficiency was driving and is still driving all our choices and lifestyle. So there is a profound craving for a new way to work, a new way to interact. And for me personally, Web3 means co-creation and co-ownership at its best. Now, we're really just at the very beginning of the shift shift to Web3 because there are fundamental improvements to the system that are now moving from research to implementation. And it's a really exciting time to enter the space. So there you have it. Dang. Dang. You are the right person to talk about because honestly, I I am so out of the loop that I wasn't even quite sure what Web3 was. I wasn't a hater, that's for sure, but I also didn't quite understand. But now in the context of seeing what Web1 was, Web2, Web3, where is it at in the adoption curve? Do do people know about it? Are we just the early adopters? So clearly I'm a laggard. <laughs> remember, if you're old enough to remember 1998, 1999, when you had to plug your modem to go on the internet and the sound that it makes, yes. this is where we are from a web three. Okay. That's it. Remember, remember so, those sounds. Not all the kids remember those sounds. <laughs> they don't know. They don't know the joy of using your phone to exactly. dial into America online. Mm. But it, so it, we're at it, that the changes. Stage. Yes, sorry, but the, the changes and the evolution are happening much faster than back uh, in 1999. Yeah, good. We don't need a CD-ROM to get an extra 200 hours of America on. That's 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 fantastic. So, uh, so yeah. So, but where is it in terms of it, we're early phase? Uh, are people? I mean, how many people actually know about this? Clearly, I'm behind. But like, where is everyone else in this? How behind am I? <laughs> It, it's really hard to, to answer that question because okay. I can only speak for myself. You know, I'm coming from the marketing space, right. from the entrepreneur space. Yeah. So it's definitely something that we have heard. Um, but because it's very technical and it's being uh, almost guarded by either finance people or by engineers, it's not really going into the mainstream as fast as I would like. So that's why I had to do my own education. I had to spend time. I, I have to implement some of the things. Mm. So it's really still early. Well, I'm glad you did the research because now we can all benefit from learning from these things. What should we know about it from all this research you've done? You, you take it a step further. We, access to ownership is the I mean, could you break that up into smaller chunks? Sure. Like, what, what do I need to know yeah. to understand really what the core of Web3 is? Hopefully, even to the point where I could then teach other people I, I meet about it. Yeah. So here's what's real. And I'm trying, I'm going to describe two main benefits, hopefully without getting too technical. Sure. So the core feature behind Web3 is decentralization. Now, decentralized refers to the transfer of control and decision-making from a centralized entity to a distributed network. And decentralized network fundamentally thrive to reduce the level of trust that participant must place in one another. 
And the way it does it, it uses technology as the medium of trust. So the first benefit is trustless. That means that there's no need to have any trust involved between a website host and the user. And for that, Web3 uses smart contract. So a smart contract is a script that is generally fixed and immutable, and it tells the user exactly what they'll get from the transaction that they're performing in Web3. So for example, let's say a website is selling eBooks. The code is conveniently fulfilled once the payment from the buyer's wallet is received by the seller's wallet. Otherwise, it will automatically make a refund. This is a much faster process and requires less, less reliance on the payment gateway, which usually today takes a few days of waiting period to get the refund. So the smart contract or a huge win for users, and the transaction are faster, cheaper, and it provides more control. What it really means is that we can remove intermediaries whose jobs are to guarantee a transaction. Think of bankers, lawyers, and that's why there's so much resistance. So the first key element is this trustless benefits. We use the technology to create that trust. The second is transparency. Now, you may have heard of decentralized finance, which is a big part of Web3. And this DeFi is a term to describe blockchain-based protocols and product and platform that are an alternative to our traditional financial infrastructure. So this is huge. Um, I'm sure you know that today, every aspect of banking, lending, trading is managed by centralized systems. So uh, we need to deal with middlemen to get an auto loan, a mortgage, trading right. stock, bonds, right? Uh, in the US, it's the, the SEC, Federal Reserve mm -hmm. and Security Exchange, that set the rules for the world of centralized finance institution. And then Congress makes some amendments uh, over time. Okay. So as a result, there's very few paths for consumers to access capital and financial services directly. We cannot bypass middlemen like banks, exchanges, lenders, and all those people are earning a percentage of every financial and banking transaction as profit. This is a pay-to-play game, right? Yes. So um, I will never say, so really DeFi, which is based on blockchain, challenges this centralized financial system by disempowering middlemen and gatekeeper and empowering everyday people like you and me via peer-to-peer -peer exchanges. And I'll never say it enough, Web3 is about control and decision-making. And anyone who create myth or negative, you know, response or is somehow already in control and mm. they do not want to let go of their control. Yes, they're trying to keep it. Tell some lies to keep control. That yeah. makes sense. And we could talk for hours about, you know, coins versus token and token as a mechanism to share value. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. The, the business model or even the economy of abundance. Teach me um, some basics here. Coins, tokens. Uh, so, um, well, there's so much to, to say, but, and it can become very technical, 
Um, and so my recommendation for people is really to, do, to watch a, view, a, a few video or just okay. attend a Web3 training so they can have a general understanding. Because, you know, some people are not interested in coins versus token. Others, uh, they're going to be interested in investing in cryptocurrencies. Others is going to be about uh, the community, the DAOs, what are the principles of those organizations that are not... Um, uh, led by a small minority, but by the community itself. Gotcha. Uh, it's it's absolutely mind blowing, and the challenge in that of Web three is that it challenges a lot of our existing belief. And to me, one of the most difficult belief to get rid of is the belief of scarcity. Uh, in the in the current economy today, we've built an economy based on this idea of scarcity. Because of scarcity, I have to protect myself. Right. And it, it creates this attitude of power and control and um, almost fight, right? Mm -hmm. With Web3, um, we have the opportunity to be rewarded based on what we do. So it's, you know, co-sharing, co-creating, collaborating. Um, we need to remove and let go some of those uh, negative or limiting belief in order okay. to really even see and understand this whole new world. Those kind of beliefs get in the way of everything, right? The, the scarcity, when, when you think uh, creativity just gets sucked out of the room, right? It's like a vacuum. When things are scarce, you're not trying to grow. You're just trying to protect and defend. And it really stunts a lot of things. Absolutely. Um, and that's what I'm, you know, I'm having the most difficult time is to find other people who are willing to hold on or actually let go some mm. of those uh, belief and explore new ways to collaborate. That's really a challenge. Yes. How does, how does this, when you think, cause you're, you're also a CMO where, how does Web3 tie into marketing for you? What, what, should, you know, what should the marketers listening to this be thinking about specifically with Web3? Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> so there's different, different aspects of Web3 that have a direct impact on current organization. Uh, and I call that the new Web3 entrepreneur playbook, even for um, long-time entrepreneurs or existing organization. Mm. The first idea that I'm happy to share is the community. This idea, you know, DAOs or community organized uh, organization um, where people share the decision-making. No, it's called a DAO. How do you spell that? D, uh, D AO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Cheers. Yeah. But if you take that idea into, and some of those principles into an organization, the opportunity is that community is a new way to sell. Forget the sales team, forget the VP of sales, the inside sales team. This is being pushed out the door. And in exchange, you have a community. Now, the word community, unfortunately, is overused, and most people think of community as a bunch of followers or a WhatsApp group or even right. worse, 
the members of a loyalty program. Right. Um, and that's really not what we need to understand with the word community. Uh, first of all, community is usually born around an idea or value prop that is shared by a team, a company, or even a person. It goes well beyond a product or service. And second, a community is really a space. It's a space for members, and they can be customers or employees, to voice their truth. And we can see that on social media today, there are tribes. People tend to organize together based on their common interest. Um, so a community is just a space where people who share common interests and common value get together um, to co-create. Now, if you're trying to embed this in the DNA for your organization, it means that the principle of starting a businesses with just a small number of you know, owners, investors, the founding team, these people, the founding team will have to be open to the idea that what they're building is not theirs because they, there's a transfer of um, ownership. A community thrive when people have a sense of belonging and mm. to be able to have a sense of belonging, you need to have a space where you feel enough trust to express yourself and you also have some sort of decision making. So well, those two parts again, so you need to have a space and then you need to have some sense of control or decision making. Exactly. To create a community. Yeah. And when you do that, so that means every single member can make decisions in their community. Well, it is something that you have to design. Um, it, it's I, I am thinking it's not possible for most entrepreneurs today to start a business with their vision and then let go 100 percent of the vision. So it's more a compromise. It's what are the element in the decision in the um evolution of the company slash mm -hmm. community that I can let go. So for example, you could ask uh, the community, what are the features that you want? Yeah. And you can give them mechanism of rating or ranking the top features that they want to, to have instead of relying on your own engineering team or on your own vision. Yeah, you know, I've seen this a long time ago, the idea of just a software company having people put ideas in and upvote them. But in that case, it was kind of like, well, hopefully that'll get to the attention of the head of technology or product. But in this case, if we're actually going to use this to decide if this is the decision mechanism, then that's cool too. But I guess you, I mean, you could hack that, right? Because I've heard stories of, you know, companies wanting to name a bridge and then a bunch of hackers get involved and then it's, they're going to name it Mountain Dew or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you look at current organizations, some of them are using that as a marketing tactic. In other words, it's yeah. more messaging and a gimmick than really a true transparent process where you can see your idea evolve, evolving and being chosen um, and rising to the top. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a, it's really, um, at the end of the day, it's about reassessing all the, the, the values and the belief that we have about what does it mean to be a founder, an entrepreneur, a business owner, what is my responsibility? And we've seen it with, you know, post-COVID or post-pandemic, that there's a craving for a new type of leaders. The old leadership version of um, a, what was a good leader was someone who would tell other people what to do. In today's world, a good leader is someone who listens, 
who has empathy, compassion, and who supports their team almost as a, a like a guide. Yeah. Okay. Another idea, and I'm just going to let it to that second idea, is um, Web3, you know, offers tokens and cryptocurrencies and coins. Yeah. Um, there are a few experimentation out there that I'm interested in, which is to transform the relationship that customers have with the brand into one that would become a lot more connected. So today, most of the relationship that you have is a transactional relationship with brands. You buy and you get something in exchange. Right. What if you were able on, in Web3 to transform this transactional relationship into a relation relationship? And you can do that by giving, um, by converting your clients, your customers into stakeholders. If you create your own token, uh, it's almost like giving a piece of your company. Um, and that would, I think, transform fundamentally the way we engage with brand. And there is a craving for that type of relationship. Yeah, to actually own it. I think sometimes when we look at stock, we think, well, look, I own a piece of Disney or Tesla well, or something. But you do, but it's, it's a different kind of decision making. You don't really make decisions. Right. Today, you can own a share of a public company, but you cannot right. own a share of a private company and you're right. not involved in the decision making. Um, right. So all these are things that from a marketing standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, it's absolutely fascinating to find what are the next business model um, and what, you know, what do people want? I think the pandemic and in today's world, we society has changed what we want, our desire, our need, and that has an implication and a disruption on organizations. Right. Where do you think this goes? If, if you were to project us out into the future, we have so much capability, so much potential, you know, five, 10 years what do you do you see it all happening clicking is it inevitable and what does it look like when we really I think start it to is adopt it? I mean unless we kill our species with <clears throat> some sort of bomb or something right. that happens uh, uh, from out of space but I think it is likely that um, uh, you know civilization have transformed many many times and so the question is, what are we going to experience in our lifetime? Let's say I have 40, you know, 50 years at most. Uh, what are the changes that are going to happen in 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. But talking about the future is talking is like, you know, talking about uh, an illusion. No one knows. I can tell you what I want to happen. Yeah, tell me what I'm you I'm working want. on that. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm interested in... Um, finding other people, whether they are clients for whom I can support uh, in their next phase of growth or people that have uh, a different desires of um, using tools and resources for the greater good, which means, you know, as an entrepreneur, I was molded by Silicon Valley, by um, this idea that you can take anything you need, squeeze the juices out of people and resources without any consideration of the impact on local communities or, or the planet and, you know, make it be successful, trying to make as much money as possible. 
this is a dream that is crumbling. And there are still a lot of people by whom, for whom this is their life and their desire. And, you know, everybody's on a different journey. My desire is to create an organization that benefits the whole versus benefiting the minority. So depending on, you know, based on what are the legal structures, what are the the business model that I can create uh, instead of taking what's existing. That's really my my interest. So I'm involved in a couple of organizations that have these desires. um, And I'm always on, you know, the learning path. Yeah, amazing. And there is much to learn, right? To your point, we have to check out the videos. We have to continue this learning process. But I wanted to shift a little bit. And and I would love to know, who are you? How do you know these things? Can you take me back in time to little you? Growing up, did you, what was it like? And did you know you were going to be a CMO and, and be so passionate about the topic of Web3 when you grow older? Not really, but thank you for the questions. Um, <laughs> I think if I look at the most important thing that happened in my life, maybe here's a snapshot of who I am. So um, I moved to the U.S. in 1998 from France. Um, so I'm a first-generation American. Uh, this was a, a big deal in you know one's lifetime to change continent, to adopt, to remove yourself from your own matrix and going into a new matrix. Right. Uh, it has... Um, some really interesting challenges and and opportunities. Um, I met my high school sweetheart uh, when I was in college, or actually in high school, high school sweetheart. Um, And he's a software engineer. He was in, in, you know, he's been in in the technology since he was 10 years old. So as a result, I went into tech. um, and maybe this is why I'm doing this. So spent after spending 17 years in Northern California working for early stage ventures and in sales and marketing, um, I found my calling, which is to be a, a fractional CMO or marketer. I am, uh, um, I've challenged this role because I'm also very well aware of the responsibility that marketers have on um, selling stuff that we don't need uh, making us believe things that are untrue or even tapping into our own human weaknesses. And so I've shifted my role uh, from being a pure lead generation um, marketers to really becoming a sense maker, a storyteller, and somehow a gatherer. So I help organizations prepare or reach for their next level of growth. And that's also why I'm a host, uh, the host of the podcast called Pass the Mic. Right, Pass um, the Mic, yeah. Which brings a group of individual around a question. So that's been really, and that's how I learn is by just listening to other people. Um, and yeah, otherwise I'm in New York City. I have, I, I moved about 10 years to uh, New York. Um, California is a beautiful, Northern California is a beautiful place and I wouldn't be who I am if it was not for California, but it's a long way from the rest of the world, uh, especially France. Um, and the sky being blue um, year long is a bit boring, I have to say, <laughs> not to mention that people are very politically correct. 
So at some point I was like, okay, I can't take it anymore. Just give it to me, <laughs> be straight. So coming to right. New York is, um, is wonderful. Yeah, I bet. I bet the, you know, the shift, yeah, but you've done this a couple of times now you've shifted and moved from France to us and moved different sides of the country in the U S to different areas. And I don't say reinvented yourself, but found new grounding there, found new, new places to live and people and friends, I'm sure. So, I mean, what was it like in, in, in it was just outside of Paris when you were growing up or in Paris? I was born and raised in Paris, yeah, in the 70s. Oh, wow. And being a girl in that time um, was a completely different role model and, and expectation that, you know, the way that I raised my own daughter, I have three daughters, uh, and just the way that you see women uh, finally taking leadership roles and, and stepping on to their own um, brilliance. So it's it's two different worlds. Yeah. But how have you seen that changed over the years? How, what, how are you raising your daughter differently than the way you were raised? Oh, it's, it's fundamental uh, different. Although when I were young, I think I was still very much molded into, you know, being a parents and trying to make them fit, fit in. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but very, the, the, the interesting thing is that, so when you have children that do not speak the same language as you do, there's something really bizarre. There is this feeling that it's not your children. It's almost like you've been given those uh, children and you have the responsibility of raising them. So I think it's easier when things get tough or you're tired and you're, you're always reminded that these are not yours and they're not there to make you feel good or feel proud, or, but they're just here and you're going to have to take care and, and, you know, hopefully give them what they need. So I think it was very helpful as a parent to have children that did not speak my own language. And like natively or they not yeah. at all? Well, you know, so my husband is French and we spoke French at home, but we were so afraid of having our daughters not, uh, being late or, you know, not as good in English as the rest of their um, classmate that yeah. we never imposed them to speak English at home. And so they were speaking in English to us for many, many years. It's only when they became teen that we started sending them in France by themselves to the grandparents and cousin. And now they, they have this desire to speak uh, French. So we speak to them French, but very often, if, even me, after 25 years in the U.S., I actually speak more English to my daughters than French. Mm. Mm, amazing. Amazing to think that even the language that you speak you know, affects the way that you view people and relationships and all these things together. Um, talk to us about, do you, do you take on, what kind of clients do you take on? I know you're doing the fractional CMO work and storytelling and advising. Who are, who are the ideal people to reach out to you to potentially work with in the future? So I work for, with all kinds of organization. Most of them are, a lot of them are in technology, but I've worked okay. in healthcare and finance and uh, recently helped an organization in, um, I don't even know how to describe their industry, but it's B2B, B2C, uh, although my strength is really more B2B. Um, I, I come in in you know, three to six months to help 
with problems. So the problems could be the strategy has become obsolete and they need someone to revamp the strategy or optimize whatever's going on. Uh, it could also be to fix communication and relationship problem between teams. Um, I've seen a lot of sales and marketing teams not getting along. Now it's a lot uh, marketing and, and engineering. Sometimes it's also that there's no um, uh, executive with you know senior management and there is four, five, six junior marketers who don't quite know how to work together. So coming in and creating processes and, and helping them um, because marketing has become in a way very technical, but also it covers everything uh, in an organization, product definition, market fit, research, um, yeah. you know, advertising, sales, mar you know, communication. And so having someone who uh, is not trying to uh, take the, you know, is not trying to play the political game is very refreshing for organization. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of fractional CMOs or fractional executive coming in for, you know, six months, working with the VP of marketing, working with the um, directors and just helping them make sense of, you know, the, the, what the, the, the complexity of the market. Right. Right. I, I found that to be exactly the case. I love that you bring up the fact that fractional leaders uh, do tend to skew politics. It's not really about that. It's about the mission. My justification for being here is the results. Let's get results. I'm not trying to climb the ladder. I'm a fractional CMO. I am the fractional, whatever that position is. Let's do this. And I've had some great successes, even personally working with fractional CFOs. So mm -hmm. it's inevitable that that fractional CMO should, should really take on on a lot of the, the grunt work. Right. So I'm excited to see this, this whole industry grow. Yeah, and actually that's one of the impact of Web3. The remote working, fractional work, that's the new way to hire and manage team. You know, the great resignation is a reality. Work independence and self-determination are the biggest driver that I think will shape the future of work. Wow. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see how in the past, you know, having a steady job was something very common. Uh, with one company, but now uh, there's freelancing or even independent work that is often now in addition to a full-time work. So um, it's, it's really challenging for organization because now with remote working and fractional, it fundamentally changes the way we think of resources. Uh, you know, we have to trust more, we have to find collaborative tools, um, and even the four days work week is a real mm -hmm. trend in many organizations. It's really interesting to see how companies are experimenting with alternative work schedule. So I always advise entrepreneurs to rethink how we categorize roles and responsibility as we grow an organization. Right. Yeah. And I'm not Lots even talking about people going into the metaverse. I'm actually, and that's the, the client that I'm working with currently. It's an organization that is 100% remote and their CEO has decided to do, uh, to manage his organization and his business from the metaverse. Metaverse right. is one of the big elements that will influence organization uh, in the mm. future. So it's fascinating. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Can I, can I ask you a hypothetical question? Sure. See, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire. And so let's say you come to visit, 
uh, we get some beer, we get some lobster, we use a time machine. And it goes back in time to a particular time. It goes back to your early 20s. You've just um, finished university and you get to meet yourself. You get to meet that version of you uh, and you get to talk to yourself. What kind of things would you tell yourself? What kind of advice would you give your younger self? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that I would tell my younger self that I'm a visionary. Um, I never knew that I was a visionary. And as a result, I had, I had some difficult challenges when you, know, when you see things that others don't and they make you doubt or they don't believe you, you start thinking that something's wrong with you, um, that you're wrong. So I would tell my younger self, you are a visionary <clears throat> and that may feel lonely at times. So that would be number one. And then the second thing that I would tell my younger self is that I'm, I've discovered that I'm an empath. I take other people's emotion. And if you haven't learned to do, to manage that, to be aware of it, to manage it, to deal with those emotions that may not be yours, uh, it can be quite overwhelming. So I would tell my um, younger self, learn how to, you know, learn what it means to be an empath and, um, learn how to deal with that. Yeah. Those would be the two things that comes to my mind. I love that. And I guess the follow-on question to that is always, would you listen to yourself? <laughs> you went back and give yourself this advice. Would younger you listen to you now? I think so. You know, yeah. younger, I was desperate for uh, mm. attention. I was desperate, especially growing up in a family where there was no expectation for a woman apart from getting married and, you know, having children. So I think there was a part of me that was dying to have someone like a mentor who would take myself, who would take me seriously and mm-hmm. help me because I've always loved working. You know, I, I, what I do, I'm being paid for what I do. It's like, it, to me, it's sometimes I wake up, I'm like, oh my God, I love to do what I do. And, you know, so that's amazing. Yeah, so you, you found that sweet spot where you, you are just passionate about what you do and you love what you do. That's, that's the, that's the goal, right? That's to align those is, is magic. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> where can people reach out to you? If they want to connect with you uh, professionally, you know, LinkedIn, social, what, what are good social, sure. what are good websites to reach out uh, to you on? I'm a pretty open book on, on the internet, so it really depends on what they're interested in. If, okay. they're, if it's in the marketing realm, I'm on Acorn Oak, which is LinkedIn, Twitter. If it's more in the philosophy, mindfulness, which is also something that I'm really interested in practicing. I wrote a, a nonfiction, uh, a fiction novel. Uh, I hosted a, an event, um, a monthly event, a monthly gathering called uh, True Living. Um, but again, and then I have a other Twitter channel just around philosophy, mindfulness, mm. and uh, like a deeper experience of, of, uh, of the world. Um, and then if it's on the cutting edge of things, which is something that I'm, you know, trying to find other people like me, um, being at the edge, not knowing, experimenting, then I invite people to find me on reapcommunity.co or even the yinleadership.com, which are those two organizations that I'm trying to support and bring forth uh, or bring to life. 
um, with some of the aspect of Web3. Um, and it's really, um, I don't know where I'm going. So being with other people who are comfortable not knowing where they're going makes it so much better. Because you have a direction, you know, you know which way you're. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's such a, it's been such a great chance to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on here. I knew next to nothing about Web3 at the beginning. And now I feel very much like I understand where it fits. And also I'm excited to see it actually come to fruition. So thank you again. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you, Casey. Uh, it was a, a really a fantastic conversation. And I, I want to leave you know, the audience with um, one last thing, which is the step to get started on Web3. I really want to invite people. Once you've watched a few, a few video or you've attended a few training, and actually, by the way, I have a 45-minute on-demand free training that goes over Oh yeah, please. Basic understanding of Web3 and some of the implication actually for businesses. So we can share that URL. Uh, but I invite people who are curious to get started in various ways, depending on who they are or what they do. So if they're in engineering or product team, I invite them to learn to code smart contract. If they are in marketing or in sales, they have to experiment with community tokens or even the metaverse. If they are an entrepreneur, they definitely have to work with someone who's excited about Web3. And finally, for everyone else, I invite them to spend $10 in 10 different cryptos, because maybe one of those cryptos will be the next, you know, Apple. Um, right. It's like buying an Apple Microsoft. stock, you know, back when it was exactly. $3. Yes. Yeah. HP, you know, at the time in the 80s or late 80s, if you could have bought some, you know, stock of HP, Apple, like yeah. Microsoft, you know, that would could have made a difference. 100%. Uh, I love that challenge. And we will link to that, that masterclass of yours in the show notes. Uh, so good. Thank you again for being on here. And, and to those listening, if you've learned something, and I know you have, because I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here, <laughs> then share this with someone else. That's how you're a thought leader to one person, four people, 9,000 people, whatever the number, just get good information into other people's hands. That's what makes the world go around. Virginie, thank you so much for being on here. Again, you are a wonderful person to talk to and to learn from. Thank you very much, Casey. I appreciate your podcast. I've learned a lot from all the other uh, speakers and I can't wait to um, keep in touch and yes. share this conversation so that other people get inspired and we get the world that we so desperately need, which is a world where people are more collaborative and co-creators and um, more happy and playful. Co-creators of the world. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> well, this has been another exciting episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.